This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophia's off tonight. We start with that scary situation aboard a flight from Abbotsford to Edmonton this morning. The 737 had just taken off when it hit a flock of geese and fire erupted in the right engine. Grace Key has more on the emergency landing and how passengers reacted. Frightening moments for Swoop Airline passengers headed from Abbotsford to Edmonton. Video taken inside the aircraft shows a couple of flares right next to the engine. All of a sudden we just started hearing this kind of banging noise and we started seeing this flare coming out of that right wing. We were like starting to take take off and then everything started going weird and then everybody starts kind of looking around and panicking and then somebody starts yelling fire fire i started seeing some flames coming out of the right engine and you know it was uh and i also felt like very strong heat i was pretty scared i think it was the smell of the smoke because you could smell the smoke that was scary Swoop confirms birds hit the engine shortly after takeoff from Abbotsford International Airport. The pilot was able to turn around and land the plane safely. Passengers got off without incident and no one was hurt. It was uh, de definitely a frightening experience, but we're glad that the pilot did a great job getting us back safely. This is the first time that an aircraft has had to turn around and land because of a wildlife issue at Abbotsford International Airport. There are plans in place to mitigate issues with birds. We have uh, sound mechanisms, we have uh, you know, a bird and wildlife plan, uh, just like every airport is regulated to do. The plane was removed from service for further inspection. The flight has been rescheduled to 8 p.m. and passengers are able to get a full refund if the time isn't suitable. At least one family won't be getting back on a plane anytime soon. But I'm renting a car and I'm driving home. <laughs> no more flying today? No more flying for a long time. Grace Key, Global News. Taxpayers are footing the bill for $4.5 million in trips by the spouses and partners of members of parliament over the last four years. And four of the top five spenders are conservatives from Western Canada. In northern B.C., conservative Todd Doherty tops the list, claiming $142,000 over four years for his wife to travel with him. In third place is former liberal Jody Wilson-Raybould, who billed taxpayers $126,000 for travel for her husband over the course of the mandate. In comparison, the average for the rest of the federal cabinet breaks down to about 12,400 in claims per member. So the hefty sum raises some concerns whether it's the best use of taxpayer money. A question our Sarah McDonald put to Jody Wilson-Raybould. How do you feel about footing the bill for the travel expenses of spouses of members of parliament to the tune of six figures for a single politician? 
Like it or not, that's exactly where your taxpayer dollars are going. 4.5 million of them spent on spousal travel since 2015. And these are the biggest spenders, including one very high-profile former Liberal Member of Parliament and Attorney General. I'm in an unfortunate position where uh, my husband is able to travel um, back to Ottawa um, to support me. Nearly 140 times over the past four fiscal years. Taxpayers spending more than $125,000 for the flights of Wilson Raybould's husband between her Vancouver Granville riding and other Canadian cities since 2015. Those flights ranging in price from less than 1000 to more than $3,000. My husband and I believe that ensuring that we keep a work-life balance as much as we can, and I, I don't think that um, public service should come at the cost of, of uh, marriages and families. Wilson Raybould, the only non-conservative member of Parliament among the top six claimants under the government's designated traveler program, all of them claiming six figures in spousal travel expenses. Wilson Raybould's expenditures alone amounting to nearly a quarter of the entire cabinet in the past four fiscal years. Why were your expenses so much more than the other members of cabinet? Well, I, I don't know what the other members of cabinet's expenses were, um, and I would not uh, reflect or um, make comment on their individual circumstances. While all of those expenses are above board, Wilson Raybould's far exceed those of others from the same geographical area, though she's not the costliest MP to hail from the West Coast. Todd Doherty topping that list, billing taxpayers more than $140,000 for the travel costs of his wife from his Caribou Prince George riding. Neither he or his staff responding to Global News requests for comment. And my husband was my rock throughout the last eight months, so I'm grateful that he was able to be there. Thank you. Wilson Raybould attributing some of her spousal expenses to the SNC-Lavalin scandal that saw her part ways with the Liberal Party, though the bulk of that six-figure travel tap was accumulated prior to 2018. Sarah McDonald, Global News, Vancouver. Well, Keith Baldry is live in Victoria now. Keith, we're expecting the writ to drop tomorrow, kicking off the official start mm -hmm. of the campaign. Wilson Raybould's riding at Vancouver Granville is expected to be one of the key battlegrounds. It is, and it joins a number of other BC ridings that are expected to be uh, pivotal to determining the outcome of the election, Chris. I mean, a lot of observers think the election is going to be won or lost in Metro Toronto and Metro Vancouver. And uh, we've got 42 ridings in British Columbia. Some of them are strongholds for various parties. The Conservatives very strong in the north. Uh, the NDP very strong in Vancouver East. But there's a bunch of uh, battleground ridings we're going to be focusing on through the campaign, starting with Burnaby North Seymour. Now, in 2015, uh, this is a new riding. The Liberals won by a fairly hefty margin over the NDP and the Conservatives. But uh, again, this is expected to be a tight potential four-way race. Uh, again, the, the Trans Mountain Pipeline terminus, of course, is in that right, and that may be a factor there as well. So that's one we're going to be keeping a close eye on. The other ones are going to be the ones that the Conservatives picked up, uh, or the Liberals picked up through, we assume, Trudeau uh, mania. The Liberals there winning in 2015, narrowly over the Conservatives. But just the election before, Chris, this was a very strong Conservative writing. So one of the things we're going to be looking at in these battleground writings, will it revert to old voting patterns in about 11 or 12 writings that the Liberals took on the writing that wave of Trudeau mania. Will the Greens pick up some seats from the NDP, particularly on Vancouver Island? And if the NDP does start sliding, as they've been doing in the polls, is, will the Liberals be the prime beneficiaries of that? So this is going to be a fascinating campaign, and we're going to have a special tomorrow starting at 7 a.m. nationally. Justin Trudeau goes to Rideau Hall to ask for dissolution of Parliament, and we'll be carrying that live starting at 7 tomorrow morning.
And the 41-day countdown begins. All right. Be thanks, for, thanks very much, Keith. In politics, more drama at Port Moody City Hall today, a day after embattled Mayor Rob Vagramov made a surprise return from a leave of absence amid unresolved sexual assault allegations. Today, Councillor Megan Lottie contradicted the mayor's statement that she would chair the city's police board. In a statement, Lottie tells Global News, quote, I have informed Mr. Vagramov that I will not agree to sit as chair of the police board as I believe this would be inappropriate and is not compliant with the Police Act. And I believe that until and unless Mr. Vagramov is able to fulfill the duties and responsibilities that he took an oath to perform, he has no business being at City Hall. The mayor's office tells Global News they are looking into the matter. The next police board meeting is scheduled for October 7th. Hundreds of taxi drivers packed into a special meeting in Vancouver today to discuss what they see as a threat to their livelihood, ride-sharing. Drivers feel the new rules are unfair and could spell the end of their industry. Aaron MacArthur has more on how the association is fighting back. We have to remain united. It is our time to fight now. BC is finally on the verge of getting ride-hailing, and the taxi industry making its last stand. A special meeting in Vancouver drew hundreds of drivers, owners and operators, all vowing to fight for their rights, saying the introduction of Uber and Lyft without reasonable restrictions will destroy their industry. Our concern is uh, level playing field, that's all. It's going to be a very destructive competition where somebody's costs are lower. Last month, the Passenger Transportation Board introduced the regulations for ride hailing. No caps on fleet size, no geographic boundaries, and insurance rates a fraction of what taxi operators pay. The NDP has been publicly pushing for changes to those rules, and the taxi industry is planning on ratcheting up the pressure in the courts. We're going to apply for an injunction to ensure that those guidelines aren't applied by the Passenger Transportation uh, Board. There is support for the taxi industry at the municipal level. Doug McCallum vowing to stop ride-hailing in Surrey. We will not be issuing any business license to ride-sharing companies in Surrey. While McCallum's stance is popular politically, the rules for ride-hailing don't give authority to municipalities. Transportation consultants say the taxi industry is fighting the wrong battle. In every market where Uber sets up shop, taxi companies do better. Increased competition improves customer service. There's different markets for different firms. As long as the technology and the messaging is on par, there will always be place for the taxi industry. It might be too late for protest or legal action. Ride-hailing companies have already started the application process to get cars on the road. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. We are getting our first look at a controversial new modular housing project in Maple Ridge. Garibaldi Ridge, as it's known, opened today on Burnett Street. The three-story wood frame building has 51 units, indoor amenity space. Round-the-clock support will also be offered on-site to residents. Officials say it'll give a stable housing option for all the people who were living at the Anita Place encampment, as well as other homeless in the city. The province moved ahead with the project without the city's support back in March when they reached a standstill over where it should go. With the 51 units in this building, uh, it will allow people to uh, have a choice to not be on the street. And I think most people will make that choice. Once you have the chance to see the units, they'll be able to get the support they, they need here. There's a meal program. 
that's here. There's going to be a medical program and med program for people who have medical conditions. And frankly, most people who've been living outside or are homeless for a long time have significant medical issues. In the city's plan, new supportive housing for the homeless would have been restricted to the site of the city's one existing temporary modular housing project on Royal Crescent, with seniors housing proposed for the Burnett Street site. Legendary Vancouver photographer Fred Herzog has passed away. It's not the question of learning all the techniques or learning composition or even learning about the art of it. I think what is important is that you are out there as a person and relate to those objects and those people who, who intrigue you. He's best known for his colorful street photography, which began in 1952 when he arrived in Canada from Germany. He's considered one of the pioneers of artistic color photography. In 2007, the Vancouver Art Gallery held the first major retrospective of his work. Herzog is survived by his daughter and son and was predeceased by his wife who passed away in 2013. He was 88 years old. Right now, though, Restaurants Canada is issuing a new report card taking stock of liquor policies from coast to coast. And once again, B.C. has earned just a C grade. Today, today Ted Chernecki explains the key areas that need improvement, including the impact of forcing bars and restaurants to only buy alcohol from government liquor stores. Despite tours in B.C. claiming another record year for visitors, okay, that's good. the owner of this restaurant says business is the worst it's been in 10 years. He believes the high cost of accommodation is stealing from his business, and then there are those liquor laws he describes as a government-run cartel. Restaurants Canada agrees, and in its latest report suggests BC is all talk, no action. It's all great that we've got these recommendations, uh, but we actually need them to be implemented. Every two years, Restaurants Canada grades each province in regards to liquor legislation, and this year BC gets a C as it did two years earlier, and worse than it was in 2015 when the then-opposition was saying this. It's hard to point to one of their liquor policy objectives that hasn't been a failure, whether it was the wholesale price reform that resulted in higher prices for consumers, whether it was happy hour that actually raised prices across the province for people going to bars and restaurants, uh, or whether it's the wine on the shelf of grocery stores, where people go to the grocery store and they're like, well, where is it? Despite a detailed review under the NDP and many recommendations, this alcohol is still being purchased directly from liquor stores at almost the same price you pay for it, and try to special order something from the liquor distribution branch, forget it. You know, how come I can order sushi from Tokyo on a Friday and get it on Monday, yet uh, in order to order a special order product, it takes me two weeks. In the survey, restaurant owners are asked to compare today's liquor policies to two years ago. 15% said better, 37% said the same, while 49% said it's gotten worse. Cautiously optimistic that we, the work that we're doing with the government right now will result in some real benefits for our members right across British Columbia. So the next time you ask yourself why that beer or glass of wine is so expensive, today's report suggests collectively tax revenue on beer, wine and spirits in Canada has tripled in the last two years. Ted Chernay, Global News. Another blow to BC's forestry sector. The Teal Jones Group says it's putting an end to all of its logging operations in coastal BC. It's a move the company says will result in substantial job losses potentially 300 logging workers on Vancouver Island and in the Fraser Valley. The company blames weak North American and global lumber demand, but also indicates BC's new rules on waste fiber and high stumpage fees 
are working against them. I think that the challenge is by changing the stumpage fee, fee and changing the market-based uh, price system we have, we actually will create more problems if we touch that because the U.S. will use that as an opportunity to increase tariffs on us. The previous government set this system in place so that we can sell into the U.S. market. And so by any changes made to that formula uh, can make us at more risk for the U.S. for more tariffs, which will actually make the problem a lot worse. A young Ontario girl is going straight to the top, trying to reduce the amount of plastic in the world. Six-year-old Kalissa Rahim loves her toys, but isn't crazy about the plastic used for the packaging. So she's written a letter to all of the major toy companies, and her mother has posted it online. It's getting a lot of attention. I am Kalissa. Why is there so much plastic in packaging? It is bad for the earth. I want to leave the world a better place. Kalissa is part of a growing movement to cut down on plastic packaging. Last month, the Hasbro Toy Company announced that it will completely eliminate plastic packaging by 2022. An amazing story out of Calgary tonight of a family reunion no one saw coming. A hairstylist and his favorite longtime customer find out they're related. Jill Croteau reports. I learned a couple of new things about you today. It's a special dynamic. The client-stylist connection is an intimate one. We became really close, so we became very kindred spirits in a quite quick time. Over the past seven years, Andrea and Troy developed a close friendship. As much as I loved coming to get my hair cut, I also loved coming just so I could visit with Troy. He was like half best friend, half psychologist. It's here in this chair where insecurities are shared and the one place someone looks for a new and better version of themselves. But little did these two know they would uncover a piece of themselves in each other. 1.3 million people in Calgary and she just happened to walk through my door and for 52 years I did not know what part of the family I was missing. A part he didn't even know existed. Troy was born in 1967. His adoring mom raised him, but his father was always a question mark. There had always been questions as I was growing up uh, from who I thought my father was. Andrea had her own curiosities about her dad too. More specifically, his side of the family because he was adopted. I always wondered, you know, I guess on a more like biological level, like who I am and, you know, what is it that makes me me? And I thought that perhaps a DNA test could help me answer some of those questions. So one day in the salon, the two divulged to each other their pursuit to trace their roots. It was an extraordinary family tree that led them to each other. When we found out the test, that's when everything kind of blew up on me. Separately, they submitted their DNA to different databases. It linked them to a mutual relative in the United States. My half-uncle sends me a text and tells me, you know, that he just was connected to this other man from Calgary. We're as genetically related as he and I are. Sends me this picture, and I look on my phone, and it's Troy. <laughs> and I, my jaw dropped... I started to shake. They dug deeper, discovering they're 15 years apart and share the same dad. Their father never knew about Troy. He was conceived from a previous relationship. My mom and my dad didn't have that moment. I would not be here. While Andrea and Troy have a head start on their relationship, they look forward to getting acquainted with the whole family. To find my father and to know that he's still alive and I still have time with him, it's a beautiful story. Jill Crotel, Global News. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A huge plume of black smoke rises from a fire at a scrap metal recycling facility in Ohio. The fire has been burning since last night and crews can only try to contain the flames to the scrap pile and keep them from spreading to nearby buildings. The burning metal apparently can be smelled as far as 50 kilometers away. Investigators in Arizona are trying to figure out what caused a bizarre plane crash there. A small plane slamming into an airport building, remarkably with no one killed. This was the jaw-dropping scene discovered by first responders. A small plane wedged nose down into an airport building. The two people aboard, the pilot and a student, somehow made it out alive. It happened just after takeoff in Maricopa, Arizona. Investigators say it's unclear why the plane suddenly plummeted from the sky and sliced into the Okchin Regional Airport. I was the only one in the building. I was more worried about the safety of the, uh, the individuals on the aircraft. According to authorities, the two survivors were transported to a local hospital. The Aircoop 415C was first manufactured during World War II, designed to be one of the safest airplanes of its time. Tonight, investigators want to know how the plane ended up like this. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. Political leaders in Germany are calling for the election of a small-town mayor to be overturned because he's a neo-Nazi. Stefan Jagsch is a member of the far-right National Democratic Party. The seven councillors in his small town unanimously voted for him as mayor because no one else challenged him for the job. The National Democratic Party is known for its neo-Nazi links, and several politicians are calling the election of Yagsh a disgrace. Dozens of Halifax residents got a knock on the door last night and were told they had 20 minutes to pack up everything they could and evacuate their homes. They live in the neighborhood where a huge construction crane collapsed on Saturday in Hurricane Dorian. Officials say the situation is too dangerous to allow anyone to stay while they dismantle the structure. As many as 40 people are out of their homes and four businesses are closed. No word on when they'll be allowed back. A group of BC volunteers, including some Burnaby firefighters, is hard at work in the Bahamas helping with the early recovery from Hurricane Dorian. Challenges for this operation have been immense. We have not seen anything like a debris field like this. Um, there are multiple hazards here like nails, uh, corrugated steel, uh, glass. Fourteen first responders are searching through rubble for survivors and for bodies. The death toll in the Bahamas is now officially at 50, with little doubt that's going to rise substantially. A number of regions still haven't been searched because crews simply can't get there. Most of the deaths have been on hard-hit Abaco Island, where some survivors are being forced to leave without even knowing if their loved ones are still alive. And one of the thousands of families from the Bahamas who lost everything is now in B.C., arriving in Kelowna last night. Their rescue, thanks to a Kelowna man who worked tirelessly to get them out. Ha 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 
an emotional reunion at the Kelowna Airport Monday night. As a Bahamian family arrives in the Okanagan after escaping their hurricane-devastated country. Just the simple things in life is inaccessible right now. Simple things like clean drinking water, a shower, you know, food. Felt like a relief. Away from all the chaos, away from all the madness. The escape emotionally overwhelming. <sighs> but the Fergusons have been rescued from their bleak situation thanks to the relentless efforts of their friend, Kelowna resident Mike Carter, who temporarily lived in the Bahamas and whose family owns a business there. When we realized the devastation of it all, um, I started going through my phone book and trying to text everybody to see if everyone was safe, and he was one of the first people to respond. That was the beginning of a complicated process of getting the family off their devastated island of Grand Bahama in order to get them to Canada. The trio can stay in Canada for 90 days before having to return. The plan is to start fundraising to help them and bring over a few more families. Carter hopes other communities take notice. If Kelowna could take in five more families, that would be a huge win for us. If every town in Vancouver, or in Canada could take in five more families, I mean, we'd make a huge dent. To help a country that will be rebuilding for months, if not years to come. People over there are literally suffering, suffering and they need help. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. Another major event today for Apple, the tech giant unveiling a bunch of new products, including a new iPhone. The big question, though, is will it be enough to reverse sagging sales? Today, I am thrilled to share with you the newest iPhone. Apple is launching a rainbow of new flagship devices. The colorful new phones come in three flavors. This is iPhone 11. The iPhone 11 with upgraded specs for 700 bucks, slightly cheaper than its predecessor. Or consumers can shell out for the iPhone 11 Pro or Pro Max, starting at $1,000, with longer battery life and an extra camera. The biggest changes in the iPhone 11 are really about the cameras. But will it be enough for consumers to upgrade to a new device? That is the multi-billion dollar question iPhone sales have been slipping in recent years as consumers wait longer to upgrade. 55% of people said that they're going to hold onto their phone for at least three years or more. Apple is shifting focus to its premium services. Apple TV Plus launches on November 1st. This is crazy. With original shows for about $5 a month. We're definitely going to have a war. Days before and dollars under Disney launching its own subscription service November 12th. When you buy an iPhone, an iPad, a Mac, or an Apple TV, you'll get one year of Apple TV Plus included for free. Apple hoping original content will entice customers to buy its products. That could be something that pushes some people over the line. Pressure for Apple as the competition stiffens and customers hold on to old devices. Liz McLaughlin, NBC News. In Health Matters tonight, today marks an international event to recognize a crisis many people don't want to talk about, suicide. The statistics on World Suicide Prevention Day are daunting. It's estimated that 11 people take their own life each day in Canada and 210 people attempt suicide. Worldwide, the World Health Organization says suicide takes one life every 40 seconds. Experts say the keys to reducing the tragedy is to talk about it. 
dispel some of the myths and attack the stigma surrounding suicide. In other health news, BC health authorities are warning people about the use of needle-free filler treatments. The procedures are a pressurized pen to insert cosmetic fillers into the skin without injections. They're becoming popular with patients who are uneasy with needles. Officials say no needle-free pressurized pen has been approved for use by Health Canada. So it says no one, not even regulated professionals, should be providing fillers with that type of device. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Finding a pearl in an oyster is extremely rare, but a Vancouver Island man did much better than that. Dozens of pearls in a single oyster caught in his secret spot off the coast near Courtney. Kylie Stanton has the amazing story of how he realized he had something special. From the beach to a bed of ice, just pop them open and they're ready to eat. Fresh or fried, oysters are full of flavor. Uh, 48 of them. But the one Eric Borkwin bit into at a dinner party last weekend happened to be full of something else. The first two I had were fried and then the third one was just like crunch. He began pulling out what he thought were rocks out of his mouth, only to find at least a dozen white pearls. We're all kind of jaw dropped and... Just unbelievable. But inside the other half of the oyster, there was still more to come. I started pressing and more pearls were coming out. And we're all just standing there going, wow, this is unreal. Never seen this before. The group counted them up, inspecting the shapes and sizes. There's some that are actually quite round. Marveling at just how rare the find was. You know, one in 10,000 chance of finding one, you know, let alone 48 in one. This is pretty interesting. And so the chances of finding another are unlikely. Still, Borkwin is keeping the exact spot a secret, only saying the oyster was picked up from a beach in Bain Sound, south of Courtney. As for what to do with the pearls now? My wife was thinking of a pendant and maybe some earrings or a ring and lots of possibilities. There's some big enough ones there you can string them up, that's for sure. It turns out they're not worth a whole lot, but Borkwin says the value is in the experience. I've never found anything like this, so it's something we could tell our friends and family for years to come. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Amazing. And how about this? A photographer captures a precious moment after the forecast, how the squirrel really showed this daisy some love. You know, every now and again, you just got to stop and smell the daisies. That's the cutest That's, thing ever. It's so cute, isn't it? Christy's here with a look at the mm -hmm. uh, forecast and a beautiful rainbow out there in Kamloops. Yes, a bit of sunshine, a few showers, and what do you get? A lot of these across the province, uh, not just a few showers yesterday, downright uh, downpours, and that's what we got as well. Uh, this great shot from Trish yesterday as the chopper was uh, taking off from an area in Burnaby here. Uh, so yes, a lot of um, rainbows, and it's because of weather like this, where you get the blue sky, but you also get these towering cumulus Yesterday, we had incredible downpours of rain. Today, not as much instability, but we have had a few showers, and we still do. It's mainly across the mountain regions and out in the Fraser Valley right now. It's been pretty nice, though, for Metro Vancouver, but also some towering cumulus across Vancouver Island. Majority of the showers are in the Okanagan Valley, but all of the action in terms of lightning strikes staying south of the border today. Everything will ease off over to overnight tonight, and tomorrow, we've got a system that's going to move on to the north and central 
central coast affecting western sections of Vancouver Island, but most other regions will see just a bit of cloud cover. So here's your school day forecast. A little chilly to start with in the morning. We haven't seen a low of about 11 degrees since early in, uh, early in June, really. And then we'll see mainly cloudy skies. We'll warm up to 21 degrees. It will be dry tomorrow, but... You'll need your umbrella once again on Thursday as that wave finally pushes further inland. So 10 to 15 millimeters for Metro Vancouver, very likely on Thursday. For tomorrow, though, that moisture will be along the north and central coast and then touching into that western section of Vancouver Island. Otherwise, mainly cloudy, a high of 21 degrees for us tomorrow. Bit of back and forth. So dry tomorrow, showers or rain on Thursday, dry Friday, and unfortunately our weekend looking cool and a little wet. Hopefully not consistent rain. And one last shot of those towering cumulus clouds. Carl, that is not the photo that I wanted to show you. I don't know how that was changed. Maybe we can show it at the end of the show. My apologies. No worries. Let's see if we can get back to that. Photography is, it can be amazing, and that's our topic right now. Every once in a while, a photographer captures something that gets the world's attention. And this time, it was Austria's Dick van Funden. He was, that's his real name. He was snapping pictures of squirrels in a field when he captured this precious moment, and that wasn't the end of it. About 500 pictures later, he got this shot of the squirrel smelling the daisy. Still not done. A few seconds later, the squirrel actually appears to hug the flower. Isn't that sweet? Well, Fundun says the squirrel then showed the daisy how much he really liked it, and he ate it. <laughs> Squirrel's got to eat, you know. He does. That is a very sweet picture. Yeah. So right. the guy took 500 pictures, I know that. and there were yeah. 499 photos between this part and this part? How do you not get a good photo when you're taking that we talked about how Travis Green is optimistic about the season, the Canucks season, but one, there's one big box that still needs to be checked. Yes, it is. It's a rather big box, probably worth about $7 million mm-hmm. per. Uh, Brock Besser has yet to have a contract. And as we have said all summer, the fact that Vancouver has so little cap space right now is causing problems. The Canucks cap space sits at just over $4.1 million which is about $3 million less than Besser wants to be paid a year. And at the moment, he doesn't appear willing to take the uh, good guy rate to help Vancouver's budgetary issues. And really, why should he? He knows other guys around his age with his skills are going to get about $7 million a year. So despite the potential absence of Brock Besser, at least for now, the Canucks are very happy with the roster They are going to take the training camp in Victoria. Management feels the rebuild is ready for the next step. Personally, I'm not sure if the rebuild should be over yet, but the summer add-ons, players like Tyler Myers, Ferlin, Ben, JT Miller, coupled with the young core group, which will now include Quinn Hughes for a full season, certainly has head coach Travis Green more optimistic than ever. I like our team. Like I like the moves that Jim has made. This is the year the Canucks are beginning to mention the word playoffs with a little more confidence than we've seen in recent seasons. And part of the optimism is how they were better than eight teams last year, which doesn't sound like much, but to them it was. You can't help but see where people had us picked to to finish, and I think most of the people, you know, we're going to finish last in the league, second to last in the league. You know, I think we surprised some people, uh, and I'm not saying we had a unbelievable season or anything but I thought we took a step in the right direction. 
Part of that step was, of course, the trophy-winning campaign from Elias Pedersen. And any improvement will need Pedersen to not suffer from a sophomore slump, as a lot of players can in their second years. I think he's wired the right way. I, I don't think last year was something that blew him away, that he's overly happy with or satisfied. I think he understands that, you know, he's a big part of us getting better as a, an organization. I think he's wired inside that he wants a lot more and it's not just about individual success. It's about team success as well and that goes hand in hand uh, when it comes to him. Of course, the Canucks are hoping some new veterans in conjunction with the kids' development will be the other reason they stay in the playoff race right to the end. But it'll mean the coaches will have to do some chemistry experiments to find out who fits with whom. And we've got a lot of new faces. you know, even from last season, uh, you talk about Levo, Pearson, Demko, uh, you know, it's almost half a new team that's in your locker room now. So uh, there's that part that you've got to cultivate and, and have team chemistry and how that fits as far as even systems-wise, uh, how they get along, how they, you know, cohesiveness. And, and so there's lots of question marks whenever you go into training camp. But with our team, there's lots of excitement, yet there is some question marks. Another question mark is goaltending. The Canucks don't feel bad about that position. They have Thatcher Demko, and of course Jacob Markstrom was their MVP last year. And I have full confidence he's going to be good again this year. And, and you know, Demko's part of that too. Uh, you know, here we've got a young guy coming in that's, I think, is ready. I think he's confident. I think he knows he's ready. And that's part of the belief of uh, is you got to believe that you're a good goalie and ready for the league to be a good goalie. And I think both both our guys are. How are you going to juggle it? You know, as much as people want the answers, sometimes it just it has to play itself out. Uh, you hope you got two guys that are playing great, and and you can keep them both rested. And and yet, you know, it always seems that one guy plays more, and, and you've got to make sure you manage that workload as well. And despite all the pressures that comes with coaching in Vancouver, Travis Green says he's feeling better than ever about things. Man, I walked out of the rink the other day, and I was. I, I, it was just one of those days where I was like, "What you know? What we're lucky to lucky to coach in the NHL and lucky to to coach in Vancouver." It's because he's a good Castlegar boy who grew up as a Canuck fan. Right. Uh, okay. We talked yesterday about Antonio Brown leaving Oakland for New England. This afternoon, Brown was accused of sexual assault by a former trainer. She's bringing a lawsuit against him. His lawyer says whatever happened was consensual, and they were in a relationship last night. After winning their first game of the regular season without Antonio Brown, Oakland Raiders coach John Gruden told everyone he's tired of talking about Antonio Brown. God, I mean, I I feel like someone's smashing my temple on the side of the head. Get over it, man. It's over. You know, we we, we were good this preseason without him. You know, we're going to be fine without him. And we wish him the best. But, um, you know, we gave it a shot. And uh, now New England gets their turn. Good luck to them. But I, I just can't, uh, I can't, I can't deal with it anymore, really. Sorry. Euro 2020 qualifying. England, Kosovo, 34 seconds in. Kosovo scores. Oh, that's a tragedy for England. Alon Barisha with the goal there. But then England scores five more before halftime. Sterling releases Kane. That's Harry Kane. That's in. Nice to show up. And then Jaden Sancho gets a couple in two minutes. Not a great defensive performance by England. 
5-3 win, but a win nonetheless. Coming up on ET Canada, TIFF highlights starring two Batmans, one Joker, and one Meryl Streep. Plus, behind-the-scenes action with John Wick himself, Keanu Reeves. All that is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris. All right, Ross, thanks very much. Well, finally tonight, the video that's been burning up the Internet for all the right reasons. A couple of two-year-olds, one black and one white, overjoyed to see each other. Precious two-year-old New Yorkers, Maxwell and Finnegan. Racing for the giant hug. Acting like they hadn't seen each other for years, but it's actually only been two days. My friend, you are just adorable. It's the kind of image that pulls you in and glues you to the screen. When Maxwell's dad posted the video on Facebook, it went viral. These two just melt my heart. We need more of this unconditional love. To them, color doesn't matter. Friendship is all about the other stuff they share. Dancing, riding scooters, and childhood. If we paid more attention to the wonder of children, just imagine what we could learn. Rahima Ellis, NBC News, New York. Oh, that's so sweet. Mm -hmm. It's so sweet. It's kind of how, you know, your mom greets you when you're at the airport and she meets you at the airport for the first time. You <laughs> wave. You ever, I remember that. Great eight. Anyway. Anyone in your family. Yeah, really. Yeah. We're huggers. <laughs> really? We're huggers. Uh, let's check weather before we go. A little unsettled for the next little while. Yeah, it's back and forth for the next couple of days. Tomorrow should be dry, uh, mainly cloudy. We'll see showers or rain on Thursday and then back to dry weather on Friday. And this weekend, I'm a little bit worried about. Sorry, everyone. Mm. And we talked about this beautiful photo from Carl. Hello. There we go. There it is from New Westminster. I like this from yesterday. It captured mm -hmm. everything. That blue sky, the rainbow, and those dark clouds that produced the heavy downpours. Got a little bit of everything yeah. at the Take a Swing Golf Tournament. Thanks to everybody who gave to CKNW Kids Fund. We're going to help a lot of kids. We really appreciate it.